It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. If I were to venture a guess, and you know, in the world of acronyms, use the acronym OSCE, many would not get that right away. But it could be, it is certainly an important organization, but could be one of the most important groups in this latest Ukraine, Russia, European, and albeit global crisis that's underway. The member nations, the mission, all come together, and for some time there wasn't even a permanent U.S. representative until Jim Gilmore, former uh, governor of Virginia, became the ambassador to the OSCE. It is important to bring this into another perspective, and I'll get the governor and the former ambassador's uh, respective uh, view on this, because Poland, that borders on the Ukraine, more friendly to the United States, now is in the position of being the OSCE chair in 2022. So, first, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the organization, uh, Ambassador Gilmore, and what their role is on the world stage, not just the European stage. Well, good morning, David. Thanks for the chance to talk to your, your listeners. Uh, this really comes down to the national security and safety of the United States. If we really believe in America first, we, we've got to do what we can do to protect the United States. But my view is that the, the big advantage that the United States has is that we have allies. Now, they're not all great allies all the time. Uh, but we do have allies, and Russia really does not have allies, except for the ones that they're pressuring and putting together, like Belarus. And that basically is just a dictatorship. The OSCE is a, a national security organization uh, located in Vienna, Austria. As United States ambassador, we moved to Vienna. Uh, we participated in that every week uh, on Thursday when the countries of the world, 57 countries, came together and the ambassador stated the position of their countries. And this was very listened to uh, by each other. And the Russians listened to the United States very closely. And my job there was to project strength. I think President Trump wanted me to project strength uh, in this international organization. I found that our allies were strong. The media's uh, theme that somehow they disliked Trump and there was a disruption was not true. Uh, the Quad, the British, the French, the Germans, and the Americans met every week personally in order to coordinate our, uh, our organization. We found the Finns and the Swedes to be very friendly, and now, of course, they're being pushed into our arms by Putin's recklessness. But I think that what we really need to focus on right now is the fact that the, the rules that were set down by the Helsinki Accords in 1976 and the OSCE that has grown from it stands for certain rules. And those rules are you don't conquer each other by military force, Every country has the right to decide what alliances it wants to be a part of. And that is what Putin is trying to revoke right now. Now, while I was there working with my Russian counterpart, I was respectful of him, but we understood exactly where each of us stood. But it was a controlled situation. But since President Biden has gone into the White House, it's, it's out of control. And now I think we face a real genuine hot war in Europe. Staying with the OSCE for the moment, uh, before we move to broader views of this topic in the Ukrainian view, 
Uh, you're out of the post now, but with Poland now in the chairmanship and the Quad, as you talk about it, in the other nations, are they still engaged uh, fully in this? And if so, is there any action they can not necessarily take, but uh, push a particular nation or any partner to take? Well, sure. Listen, I, I said there are 57 countries in this organization, everybody in Europe, all the way from Turkey, all the way up through the the, uh, the Baltic countries, everybody is in it. Uh, and the question is, what is the role in it in diplomacy? And communication in diplomacy is extremely important. Tone is very important. Positions are very important. But there are some practical things also. The OSCE has about 1,200 uh, monitors in eastern Ukraine, which is presently occupied by the Russians and their proxies. And it's there for the purpose of listening and trying to keep a handle on this war and keep it from breaking out into a hot war. Putin has decided that all that is baloney, and he's going to mass, as we all know, over 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border. He's trying to pressure Ukraine. Now, I have a particular point of view about that, but uh, as to why he's doing that. Uh, but uh, the OSCE is the sort of the granddaddy of these international organizations focused on international security. Now, this very morning, we're seeing the, the more traditional approach of going to the United Nations and the Security Council of the United Nations. And that's fine. It's a much higher profile organization because it's in New York City. And it's been a high profile ever since the Cuban Missile Crisis. But the fact is that OSCE is Europe's international organization for national security. The Russians are in it, uh, just like they are in the United Nations. Uh, but uh, NATO uh, is, a, is an alliance that's centered in Europe, but it doesn't have the Russians as a part of it. The European Union is an economic sort of organization trying to become a country. Russia is not in it. Uh, so OSCE is the one place where the United States and the Russians interact immediately and every week and share their positions. Do you think, uh, and given the you know chairmanship of the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Poland, the, the new chairman of OSCE, and Poland's particular leadership in a sense of more towards freedom, away from what they were clearly under the old Soviet bloc and not wanting to be tied into Russia in that sense. Do you think that can play a role in this? Yes, all the nations are there, but they have the chairmanship. And I'll center on this uh, this Polish chairmanship. Uh, and there was the previous chairmanship when I was there with Al was Albania. And then it moved on from there to Sweden and now Poland. But listen, I want to come directly to your point. The Eastern European countries and the Baltic countries that used to be part of the old Soviet empire are independent now. The, the revolutions that took place in, in the 90s and the early part of the century are still there. Those countries made it real clear to me uh, that they did not want to have any part of a new Russian empire. They want to be sovereign and independent. And at OSC, they always understood that the Russian bear was over the horizon and a, and a potential danger. And they counted on the United States to provide that balancing power in Europe. But uh, the Poles being a part of the OSCE, the leadership of the OSCE is important for that country, which is very central to, uh, to the safety of Europe and always has been. But in addition to that, uh, we, we should be focused on Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. These are all countries that are determined to be independent. 
they want no part of being part of Russia. And I think that the Polish chairmanship of the OSCE stands for that, and I think it's very helpful. Uh, and uh, they're very good people, by the way. They're very good allies. And a lot, in some ways, they're, uh, they're better allies than some of our traditional allies. You know, there's talk of sanctions from the Biden administration on, uh, you know, they haven't issued a name or a group of names yet, but they say Russian elites, maybe even their families. There are other things, access to banking, uh, the SWIFT banking system to other international trading structures. And we've seen talk of it, but Putin continues to act on his behalf, whether it's to, as the British intelligence have said, possibly replace with a Russian-friendly leadership in, in uh, Kiev or to have an actual invasion into Ukraine. Those are two widely different options, but both could lead to Russia's control in some form. Uh, what does that all mean for the Ukraine? Uh, listen, this is a very hard-nosed situation over there. This is the, the politics of Europe. It's a very unstable continent, uh, and the, uh, the politics is very hard-nosed. First of all, let's be real clear that, that when President Biden came in, he sent messages to, uh, to Vladimir Putin which I think were extremely unhelpful, uh, provocative, really, uh, inviting, really, this kind of behavior that we're seeing with the Russians right now. So what would be that? Well, number one, this is not the first time they've built up their forces or conducted an invasion. They just keep on putting troops in there in order to pressure the West and particularly pressure Ukraine. Uh, Biden, of course, gave Putin a summit. That was not helpful. That, that, that showed Putin that all he had to do was keep up the pressure and that he would continue to be recognized and, and made important. Second of all, he came in and uh, the, the Trump administration was negotiating on the New START treaty and was insisting that Russian missiles be included in that New START extension. That uh, negotiation was abandoned immediately by President Biden. He just gave the Russians an extension of the New START treaty without any of those restrictions. That was another message to, to Vladimir Putin. Most importantly, President Trump had put sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. President Biden took them off immediately. I find, continue to find that completely un, un, inexplicable. Uh, and now, of course, we're dealing with this problem of energy pressure on Germany and Western Europe as a result of this potential pipeline. Now, President Biden says that if there's an invasion, that the Germans will cooperate in cutting off that pipeline. I can only hope so. Maybe that's the, the, the coin of the realm that we got in return for the sanctions. But the message to Vladimir Putin was that sanctions aren't serious. Uh, if sanctions may be imposed, but the Americans have indicated they're happy to take them back off again at any moment of pressure. Finally, the last point I'll make is this. The Russians believe in force. That's why they've got all their troops there. And they actually, they actually do this invasion, David, at least in part. And by the way, a fourth thing was just the other day, President Biden basically invited a, a smaller incursion and indicated that maybe that wouldn't be so tough uh, for on American sanctions. So he's really invited that. He's been backtracking ever since, but, but you, know, you can't unring the bell. That was what was said in that press conference. So American policy has been to almost create this situation and invite it. Now he's trying to play catch up. And I think sending those troops or at least putting American troops on alert is the right thing to do. But it may be too little too late at this point. 
you know, so many things come up from what you just said, you know, perspectives on this. And over the years, you and I have always taken a view of trying to analyze the other, the whether it's your opponent or your adversary, however somebody wants to divine it, their perspective. Uh, Putin's view of this, and given where he is now, 100,000 troops on the border, uh, you've got the issue of, you know, could he put in a more Russian-friendly leadership with pressure? There's been economic turmoil. Could he crash the economy in Ukraine or bring it down? They can't borrow money right now, even for their own defense. If in all of this, Putin were to look for a way out of this that doesn't involve war but gives him a win, is there even that scenario that does not involve more power within Ukraine or an invasion? Uh, I don't think that we could, we should back up on this, David. Uh, look, I am not a neocon. I don't believe you go in and conquer other countries and then try to set up new governments. So, uh, I don't believe in that. <laughs> but I do believe I'm not an isolationist either. I think that the United States is not going to be able to disengage from Europe or from the world generally. With that structure in place, uh, just be aware that uh, that it would be good to give an off-ramp uh, if Putin wants to take it. But I'm not convinced that Putin wants an off-ramp. Right. Uh, and the question is, what for, could that off-ramp looks like from his perspective? And, and that's really what I'm getting to the core of is, you know, how do you define his off-ramp where Putin likes his win? Right. It's understandable. That's who he is. You look at him and his other actions around the world. So, you know, how does he how does he walk away from Ukraine in a sense from his perspective, if he were willing, I don't see the scenario for him short of continuing to push for takeover in Ukraine. Uh, I think you look, I, the, the big picture is, is vital here. Uh, and I've written on this topic. I've written on it with Fox news. I've written on it with the Washington times. Uh, I've, uh, I've written on it and, uh, uh, and people can go and look at it. The big picture is just very important here. Putin says, I want to be want to have national defense for Russia. Uh, I think Ukraine is a threat. I think NATO moving into Ukraine is a threat to Russia, and I want to preserve Russian security. Well, that that's just a story for naive Americans or for the Russian people. I don't believe that's what's going on at all. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with Russian national security. Ukraine is not a threat to Russia. It's ridiculous to say so. NATO is not a threat to Russia. If we had wanted to invade Russia or impinge on Russia, we could have done it a long time ago. NATO is not a threat. None of this is a threat. What is really going on here is that Putin wants to reassemble the old Soviet empire. He wants to reassemble the old sphere of influence. And that, David, includes that list of states that I read off to you a few minutes ago. He wants to make them part of a sphere of influence. He may not want a military to occupy them the way they did after defeating the Nazis, but if he controls their economy, it controls their media, controls their economics, he controls and he brings back Russian greatness in his eyes. You can go to the official uh, website of the Russian Federation and read Putin's very long essay about uh, Ukraine uh, and about uh, the fact that he doesn't believe Ukraine has the right to exist as a sovereign country. He believes Ukraine should be a serf of Russia. And that's what he believes, and that's what he's trying to carry out. The, the Ukrainians, on the other hand, don't want any part of this. I was in Ukraine separate from my ambassadorship. I left the ambassadorship when Biden came in, of course, like every other Republican in the worldwide. 
But separate from that, I went to Ukraine with the American Foreign Policy Council uh, and uh, visited Ukraine. I talked to all the ministers. I went out on the Sea of Azov with the Navy. I went into the battlefield and saw all of that. And it's clear to me that Ukraine is the pivot and the hinge, not only for the the future of Russia, but for the future of Europe. Uh, If Ukraine survives, then at that point, Putin is a hero in Russian eyes, and he continues to assemble his empire and appeal to that that Russian idea of what their idea of greatness is. Uh, But on the other hand, look at it the other way. If Ukraine can be conquered by Russia or made to be nothing by Russia, then that's a message to all of those countries. And the Baltics understand this precisely. Uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, they understand this exactly. So do the Poles. Uh, They don't want any part of this. And I believe that Ukraine is a vital message to the future of Europe right now. And that's why I've been writing the things that I've been writing. And by the way, one more point. I gave you a long list of the weaknesses that President Biden has been sending to Putin, which has got us where we are today. Don't forget Afghanistan. The catastrophe in Afghanistan sent a strong message to Russia and also to China uh, that the U.S. is is weak. It won't stand up for its friends. If now Ukraine goes with uh, America and its Western allies doing nothing, that sends a powerful message about the future of, uh, of Europe and, in my view, the future of the world. Before we go to another line of discussion. Uh, You mentioned Germany and energy earlier and Germany and the Russian relationship. But when you look at uh, crude oil, natural gas and coal and the percentages that Germany gets in the middle of winter, and this is when Putin's at his strongest in the sense of the spigot, you know, whether it be any one of those three forms of energy, uh, I, I don't see Germany playing a strong role against Russia in this. I wish I could be the ambassador there. Uh, I think the new ambassador looks like he's going to do a good job, but I wish I could be there because I had a very close relationship with the, the German ambassador together with our other allies. And by the way, just a moment about Britain. They're just terrific. Uh, they're playing a terrific role both in Europe and on the Pacific in partnership with the United States, and it might be the one saving grace that we've got. But I was on close relations with the Germans. Uh, But I will tell you, in response to your direct question, I think what they're doing is crazy. I think that uh, they're trying to limit their fossil fuels is crazy. I think that that uh, chicken is coming home to roost right now uh, with their foreign policy being impinged upon by this Nord Stream 2 Russian pipeline. They eliminated their ability to use fossil fuels and nuclear energy. And then what are they going to do? You know, they're going to have to import their gas from somewhere. they got to heat their homes somehow. I was a soldier in Germany during the Cold War. It gets cold over there. And uh, they're going to have to do something. They're not going to cut down trees and, and make wood stoves. Uh, so they're, they're going to be weaker in their foreign policy because of this. Uh, I think that uh, we should be entering into a negotiation with them and trying to bring them back to reality. Um, they're not in reality right now. They're not sending arms to Ukraine the way that the British and the Americans and and, uh, and other countries are. Even the Spanish are participating, for crying out loud. But the Germans are not. And uh, most people think it's because of Nord Stream. It's because of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. I think it's also a holdover from World War II. The, 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 The Germans still continue to be mentally screwed up as a result of that. 
they think that somehow they can restore their reputation after the Nazi era by being peaceniks. That's the reverse is true. By not standing up strongly for European security, they're just playing the same game the Nazis did. And they're just, uh, you know, uh, you, you've got to either stand for de- or de- democracy, independence, and the American alliance, or you don't. And I, I think that uh, the, the German situation is very screwed up, and I think we have a lot of negotiations we need to do in the future if we can get by this Ukrainian crisis. And I'm not sure we can, by the way. My guest, former ambassador to the OSCE, Jim Gilmore, former governor of Virginia as well. Uh, you know, I, I know we've got a wrap on this, but there's another perspective in this, Jim, over the years. This is why I've always enjoyed our conversations on and off air. You mentioned the Russian Federation website. I went there earlier this morning. Take a look at what they're putting out. And, you know, they have on their website conversations with the Hungarian Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, lifting travel bans to other countries, Finland, Vietnam, India, Qatar. I look at their their talk of, you know, expanded economic development through 2030. Uh, They're speaking to Kazakhstan. In a sense, is Putin uh, and his government and his representatives uh, playing their chess game by speaking to these other nations and finding ways to either neutralize them or gain their support in this recent crisis? Yeah, I was actually a very good friend of the Hungarian. All right. I think we uh, we lost the ambassador there for a moment, guys. That would Okay, we we got you back now. We had a little bit of a dropout there, Jim. Comms were a problem for a moment. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. As I said, I was close to the Hungarian ambassador while I was in Vienna. If Orban goes over and undercuts Ukraine, that would not be helpful. Uh, But uh, the the bottom line is that that, uh, we have to, I think, stand strong in this particular situation. I think we have to apply all the tools as late as they are in order to try to preserve this. There is a a line of thought right now, maybe even some of our listeners here, that don't think that that Europe's important. Uh, You know, you stand where you sit. I was there for two years as the United States ambassador. I know how important this is. Europe is the hinge, is always the hinge of American national security. We we learned that the hard way in World War II. And uh, the fact is you you cannot allow Europe to be impugned upon by, uh, by Russia. You just can't do it. Then the Pacific's a separate problem. We can have another conversation with about that later on. But uh, the the Pacific is, uh, I think, more controllable, frankly, than Europe. I think Europe is very unstable and a very a great difficult situation. Uh, but we have a lot to do in order to try to control the situation. I'm not sure it can be controlled. Uh, I think that a uh, small incursion with small sanctions that uh, that undermines uh, Ukraine's sovereignty will have reverberations across all the rest of Europe and indeed across the world, David. But uh, is that responsive? What are your what is your focus? Yeah, it, it, I got to tell you, it is responsive and there will be much more discussion on this. I, I think we have to look at all sides, not just what's reported here or put out by the White House. You mentioned earlier on those you know, actions and indicators, whether it's Nord Stream 2 or other things, the summit with Putin. Uh, Biden continues to do what his history has demonstrated, that he is uh, weak or in many ways ill-informed on foreign policy. 
and that doesn't serve what is a situation that could lead other nations like China to take actions, uh, just watching this administration, watching the response to this. Uh, Jim, welcome home. I know you were busy <laughs> for a couple of years. Uh, good to have you back on as well. I suggest that maybe your listeners want to really see what I've been saying about this. There are two things. In September the 20th, I wrote a long article after the Afghan debacle and warned that there would be reverberations. Your listeners could look at that on Fox, Fox.com. And also, I just published a lengthy article in Foreign Policy uh, about this topic. But I was warning about this back in September, David, and even earlier than that. Uh, so let's hope that we can uh, apply American influence and power, bring peace uh, to Europe through standing up for the Ukrainian situation and understand the significance of it. Thanks for the chance to talk to your listeners today. It's a very powerful message. Thank you very much. Jim Gilmore, uh, former ambassador uh, to the OSCE and a former governor of Virginia. Uh, you can also go to his website, growthpack.uspac. I'll be right back. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.